we should never despair. Our situation before has been unpromising and has changed for the better, so I trust it will again. If new difficulties arise, we must only put forth new exertions and proportion our efforts to the exigency of the times. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host back again is Ian Kahn with from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this return episode of the podcast, we look at the most recent polling and what that tells us about the coming election. We look at the challenges facing the Republic this week. In our hot take segment, we'll look at the recent debates and wrap with our Guardian of the Week. You know what? You should make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, my friend, here we are back again. Six months, huh? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what have you been up to? I know what I've been up to. Polling, polling, polling. Yeah, which we're, I'm excited to get into. I, I just want to say, you know, here we are. And I think there's two reasons why we're here. Uh, one is, as the debates have been going on, you and I hop on the on a phone call as because we're friends. We were friends before we started the podcast as the podcast. And now when the podcast is over and we're back on the phone for another like 30, 45 minutes, just like we were before we started doing the podcast to begin with. And I think at the end of each one, we're like, gosh, we should have just taped that because that was a really good episode. Um, so I think that that was part of it. And the other part of it was we, a number of fans have been reaching out over on Twitter sort of saying, hey, uh, guys, uh, what about the Republic and guarding it? And then a friend of mine uh, who is in the fantasy baseball world named Justin Mason reached out uh, and he had talked to me, you know, as a friend, he's, he's a friend. And he had said, Hey, when's your show come back? When's your show come back? And then one day he posted on Twitter to you saying, yo, where's the show? And it sort of spurred us on a little bit. And then it was like, all right, for, I think for you, Patrick, there was a sense of, look, I'm busy. I had to produce the show, you know, the two of us were doing it, but then it would take you in an additional two hours or so. So yeah. I was like, well, let's see if we can find someone who can produce it. And then it occurred to me, Justin Mason is a podcast producer. <laughs> so I called up Justin and I said, hey, you want this show back? And he's like, yeah, I really, really, really do. And I said, you want to produce it? And he's like, huh, yeah, I really do. And so we are remarkably lucky. Justin, you can come on and just say a quick hello. We are remarkably lucky that Justin Mason is joining us. It's going to make our job a lot easier. So uh, welcome, Justin, to uh, to and thank you so much for helping us. Well, it's an absolute honor and, and pleasure to uh, not only have spurred maybe the return, the triumphant return of Guardians of the Republic, but to be a part of it in any small way because I've been a longtime fan of your guys' work, but uh, you know, being a part of it is, is pretty amazing. Oh, thank you. And thank you, Justin. And, and yes. Justin's going to take over a lot of the stuff that makes it harder for us to do the show. Uh, I'll tell you quickly, I've been working doing kind of what I said I was going to do when we left, which was I was working in the political world. I'm working with Democratic candidates all across the country on their communication skills, sort of taking uh, what I learned through my 27 years of being a 26 years of being a professional actor uh, on screen and on stage and helping candidates uh, learn how to use Zoom in this pandemic time. My life has been extremely busy, and I've loved pretty much every minute of it. Uh, Patrick, what the heck you been doing? Yeah, so obviously our, our polling was cranking up, and and that's why we ended the show in uh, 
in in April, I think it was, uh, because I couldn't do the producing uh, on top of getting together with you to talk about, you know, what we're going to talk about, then do the show and do do all the posts. So thank you, Justin, uh, for stepping up. Um, although, you know, we, we had a call was bluff, right? He wanted the show right. back. <laughs> you want the show? You got to help. Yeah. And he's doing yeah. it. Yeah, we're grateful. Yeah, so doing that and then trying to keep myself sane, as we all have been through COVID, um, as I think folks out there know, um, uh, Ian lives in New York. I live in New Jersey. So we were at the epicenter back there in the spring of uh, it happening and trying to stay safe and keep other people safe uh, at the same time we were doing it. And then trying to stay sane when I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because, you know, over the past few weeks in particular – uh, my polling has ramped up and also, also the media appearances and everything else that goes along with it. So I've just been constantly, uh, plugged into my, uh, my camera and laptop and microphone doing, doing interviews back and forth, and then just trying to keep myself sane. So I've been watching, uh, some videos. I don't know if you've heard about this guy, Randy Rainbow. Sure. Uh, yes, you know Randy Rainbow. Um, of so, <laughs> so I, he's, he's a, he's a, a satirist, parodyist, whatever. Um, uh, very much, you know, anti-Trump. So you have to take that with if that's where you're going. That's that's what you're looking for. But very funny uh, in his takes there, his musical comedy takes. Uh, the other thing that I've been watching, I, I'm just going to give a shout out because this has really absolutely kept me sane, is a couple of 20-year-olds guys in Gary, Indiana, uh, with their YouTube channel called Twins the New Trend, where these oh, are two, yeah, young, the, the reaction two, two young guys, and they they listen to uh, Phil Collins was the one in the air tonight was the one I think that, that got them most famous, yeah. but it's, it's great seeing them. They listen to songs that they've never heard before. Um, and because comedy. They, they, they also do comedy. They, yes. you know, they, they do George Carlin. I'm, I've become a fan of theirs as well, but That's I have a right. deep yeah. argument. Patrick, I had a big argument with you. Those kids are oh. in their twenties. Those are teenagers, man. Those, no, 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 they are. These, they're, they're in their twenties. They're, like tw they're 20, 21, oh, 22. The, the one, one of them, yeah, they're twins. One of them is in college. Uh, okay. So that's why he doesn't appear in all of them. But yeah, that's yeah. I thought they were teenagers too. It turns out that they're they're twenty one or twenty two somewhere around there. Video back with another banger. <laughs> I, I do. I enjoy. I, I do enjoy them. That's, that's yeah, but that, that's great. Well, well, my wife was really excited because um, they're the first U two song that they listened to was her suggestion. She's one of their oh, Patreon subscribers. Yeah, so that she got really excited about that. Um, but that was like uh, that's a breath of fresh air, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, it's to me, it was, you know, I was listening to these songs that I knew from uh, the 80s uh, as if I was hearing from the first time again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and and it just takes you out of all the nonsense that's going on in the world right now. Well, so uh, you, hopefully I'm going to everybody's add, found something like that to do that for them. Keep them sane. We're, we're messing up because we're, we're out of practice. We're in. I'm, I'm jumping in on you too much there, buddy. But, you know, we usually we used to do this at the end of the show, but I'm going to throw in one more show that's been keeping myself and my better half, uh, sane, which is the show Shits Creek, which I think, did we talk about this? this I week? recommended this to you and you said, you, oh, no. I said, I, no, I no, you're right. It, no, and I, I said, you got to watch this show. You are dead on right, man. I, I, you know, often. Um, but I have to say, after they won, after they swept the Emmys, I was bothered by it at first because it was like, it's just rich people acting bratty, but it's so much different. Oh, you aren't you are bothered by Canadians taking all our awards away from us? Ah, no, I was thrilled by it. And 
And so, you know, right after they won the awards, we kind of dove back in and started started where we ended, which was like, I think, the 10th episode of the first season. Now we're in the fourth season. It's great. And now it's you're at that point when you're binging. I mean, we haven't binged a show together, my wife and I, in years. So, you know, with kids, it's it's challenging. But yeah. it's been just so delightful. I, I love everybody on that show. The daughter, the, the daughter and the son are my two favorite. Yeah. Um, she's, it's so interesting. That's not what this show is about, but Schitt's Creek, huge fan, all six seasons on Netflix, definitely worth a look, but mm-hmm. let's get to polling real quick, Patrick. Right. Cause that's, that's really one of the main reasons why I, as I spoke with Justin, he was like, I just want to hear about the polling. You know, there was some new polling that came out in the last couple of days. Um, and, but you came, this is where you and I reconnected most excitedly. I think it was last week where it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, this is too interesting. So I knew you were doing a, a poll on Pennsylvania. So I called you and I said, what's the number you're looking for? And you basically said, I could pull Pennsylvania from now to the end of the election and know everything that I need to know. So I said, what's the number that's going to be like the key number? And you said, well, what do you think? I said, seven, anything more than seven is a big deal. And you said, yeah, anything more than seven should be a huge deal. What did that number end up being? Well, it ended up being between 8 and 12 points, depending on what the electorate ends up turning out. So the bottom end, 12 at the top end uh, in our Pennsylvania poll. And I I had been seeing some numbers coming in when you and I talked that Mm -hmm. suggested that Joe Biden was doing really well, because we only had him up by about five points a month ago, right after the uh, conventions. And the key for me there and why I said it's a big deal is that even if we deal with the kind of same kind of polling error that we had in 2016, if Joe Biden is up by more than seven points in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is the bellwether. Pennsylvania is the tipping point state. Pennsylvania is the place where we saw uh, uh, these industrial rust belt voters come out for Donald Trump. These Democrats sit home because they were unhappy with Hillary Clinton. They were going to tell us a lot about what was going to ha- happen in the rest of the country. And uh, that's what we're seeing in Pennsylvania right now is that those voters are, are sort of sliding over to Joe Biden in a way that even if the polling error is there and it's the same as 2016, Joe Biden is still ahead in Pennsylvania uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So that's a big deal. Doesn't mean that's where it's going to stay. Um, but we've seen a lot of other polls come out recently uh, that show him in du- with double digits leads nationally. And again, if the, even if there's polling error involved in that, um, if he wins the national popular vote by more than six percentage points, that's considered a landslide in this day and age. Um, and the thing that has changed in my thinking and calculation since I started this is I was thinking anywhere from a very narrow Trump win to a decent but not overly large Joe Biden win. We're still possible that we're still waiting for votes to be counted many days later. I have now brought in that range from a very narrow Trump squeaking it out win to the possibility of Joe Biden being able to say Joe Biden's won this election by the time we wake up on Wednesday morning after Election Day. So well, that's the chances, range. What, what, I mean, yeah, I think that that's a, a appropriate. You know, the, if we were doing this three days ago, all of the states, all of the the, the tight states that the the battleground states were really leaning Biden. But I'm going to ask you today. There's a there's a, a on Twitter there's something called political polls, which sort of brings together all the polls that come out. Uh, YouGov and UT Austin and the Texas Tribune today has Trump in Texas at 50 percent and Biden at 40 percent. Cornyn at 50 and Hagar at 42. Um, and then, and those, those numbers yeah, are Biden's all, at Biden's at 45 in Texas. He's f- uh, five points behind. Right. Uh, and in that poll. 
And, I mean, that, and, and, and there's a Florida poll out that shows a, a, a dead even race. To right. And, and there's an Arizona poll out in the Trafalgar group with Trump up by four, which is sort of different than anything else that I've seen on Arizona. I mean, I've seen polls in the last week with Arizona up eight. Mm-hmm. Trafalgar um, is consistently it has been not just in this election, but in past elections, uh, a, f- a few points more Republican than what actually happens. So that's one of the things that you, you need to know with uh, some of these pollsters that have uh, track records. What, what is their track record? What is their, what is their partisan lean? Trafalgar's a Republican group, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their polls are going to be Republican. In Trafalgar's case, though, their, their track record is uh, that they are. But you, I think you had a larger question about this, right? Well, uh, well, actually, I just want to make one quick point. You did win the sort of poll Oscar Academy Award again this year, didn't you? For the second <laughs> year in a row. Because we weren't doing the show when it came out, and I, I called oh, you. The, like, the ratings, the ratings, yes. Yeah, yeah. You came in at number one once again as the number one pollster in America based on 538, um, based on your accuracy and degree of difficulty. So congratulations. I didn't get to tell you yeah, that. Yeah, and thank I, you. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that's just I – mean, the difference between number one and number two wasn't that big of a difference in terms of uh, their scoring method. I mean, but but we're we're at the top of the list, and yeah, out of and, and I think that's and the the key is being at the top of the list, having an A plus rating. You got to remember that does not mean that you get every poll every election exactly right. Uh, polling is like you know uh, being a baseball player, <laughs> right? You know the best best hitter in baseball is still heading back to the dugout as many times as he's getting on base. Um, you know, it's, it's not a precise, uh, exercise. So, so yeah, I'm happy with, uh, you know, the, what we're doing and, and we're somewhat more confident in our polling. This is the other question I get a lot. We're more confident in our polling this year than, than four years ago. And that does not mean that we feel that we have a prediction that we, that we're going to stick by. But, you know, if, if this, uh, if the race ends up being still close and Joe Biden's ahead consistently, but only by a couple of points, in some of these key states like Pennsylvania, when we get to, to November, then it's anybody's game at that point. You shouldn't be thinking that Joe Biden's going to win this thing. But the electorate is less volatile. There is less third party voting. There is less undecided voters. There are fewer voters who say, I'm for one of the candidates, but I'm going to ch- could change my mind. Significantly less likely than that. A couple other things about education, voting, and people with a college degree. That's all changed. Um, and we've kind of taken care of that. Uh, but that so that's why we're more confident that you know Joe Biden having a lead of of eight to ten points or so in Pennsylvania right now is definitely a lead in Pennsylvania. It's a real lead in Pennsylvania, uh, but there's still possibility that it, it could move. The thing is, we're getting some polls that still haven't fully settled on a, a result in some of these other key states like Florida. Um, as well. So, uh, Iowa is another state that we're looking at. So, you know, keep your eye open, uh, for what these polls are saying. Now you said that I had an overall question. I'm sorry. I'm out of practice. What, what was that overall question? That I don't know. I, I, no, I thought I, I interrupt. See, we're interrupting each other right now because we're, yeah, well, you know, we're, 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 we're up. it's been back, a little while. Right? It's been a, yeah, been a, been so, a little while, but yeah. oh, oh, but there's one more thing that I do want to say, you know, Please. in terms of, in terms of polling so you, and this is the thing that I look for. Okay. So what's moving the electorate? You know, we, we have seen this shift towards Joe Biden. And what polling can tell us much better than the actual number of who's going to vote for whom is why the shift is happening, if it's happening yeah. at all. And there's two key reasons. Pennsylvania is a great place to, to explore this, but we're seeing it nationally as well. Um, 
even though Donald Trump continues to have an advantage when people are asked about jobs in the economy, you know, and that's that still is bizarre to me. Not bizarre to me in the way that I say I don't think Donald Trump's doing a good job, but it's bizarre in the sense that that's the number that usually drives the number at the top. Is the president doing a good job? Should the president be reelected? If you say the president's doing a good job on the economy, then usually that follows that, okay, he should be reelected. He's doing a good job overall. And that's not happening in the polls. So that's something that we kind of are scratching our heads with. And that's something that if Donald Trump is able to pull this out in November, that's something that we're going to come back and point to as why. But what voters are telling us are, are more important right now are a couple of issues that, that are interesting. One is uh, obvious, the pandemic itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the president's behavior uh, right now is not helping him, but it, he was trailing uh, Joe Biden in trust on the pandemic even before he came down with COVID himself. Uh, I think COVID is just like uh, his COVID diagnosis is just really reinforcing where people are say, I'm not sure that Donald Trump has taken this seriously enough, or I'm not sure that Donald Trump has empathy for people who are in that situation. And he seems to be doubling down on the messages he's been sending before, and it wasn't a winning message. So that's number one. The other thing that's interesting is law and order. Law and order has has become a big issue for us, uh, for, for voters. Uh, and in terms of when we ask them what issues are they thinking about in this election, law and order is one. And it's not it's not just because of the protests, it's because the Republican campaign, Donald Trump campaign, wants you to think about that. That's that's one of their messages that came out of the convention. Law and order. The suburbs are under threat. Well, what we're finding is that while that message is playing with his base who lives out in rural America, who are afraid of that threat coming from over the horizon that they can't see, in suburban America in these places that flipped blue two years ago in the midterms, yeah, it's backfiring because what they're doing is they're looking around saying, why you're stoking this fear. And we're looking around, we're not seeing this problem here. And this is the reason why we started leaving the Republican party two years ago, because you're, it's all this race baiting and, and fear mongering, and it's actually having the opposite effect. So when we ask a question about law and order, who do you trust more on law and order in a state like Pennsylvania, Joe Biden actually has the edge on that. Because they're thinking of law and order in terms of, well, what caused these protests to happen to begin with? <laughs> I mean, we, there were, those polls changed so much. Just And we're going to get to this in our hot take segment. Just from the, 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 the double whammy of the debate and the performance of the debate, which was shocking, but not surprising, but shocking, directly into the COVID-19 diagnosis for the president. Those two things together, um, we may look back, the history books may look back and say, that's where the race was fully decided, where it became, because there were people who were just like, this is a joke. I know for people watching that debate, it was, it was a, it was, it was outrageous, really, frankly. And, and then to follow that up with, you know, the fact that he couldn't keep his house safe and that he actively did things that made it so that it wasn't safe. You know, Mitch McConnell coming out yesterday and saying that he has not been to the White House. Mitch McConnell has not been to the White House since August 6th. And he looked right into the camera and he said, because I don't like the way they're handling their business with the coronavirus over there. So I'm not going to go over there. And it's not the way we're doing it with the Senate. That was a shocking moment because all of a sudden it went, oh, he's he's going to it was similar. We're at a similar spot to the Access Hollywood tape. Right. I mean, it's a similar time period. It's a similar sort of explosion in the Trump campaign. Last time he got through it and the way he got through it was by bringing Bill Clinton's 
the 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 women of Bill Clinton to that debate changed that conversation. Also, there was a candidate that people really, on the whole, outside of the Democratic Party, did not like. Right. right. So it was like, and, and and it's just it was such a mess that it was. It, it, you can see how this is a different situation now. Now I want to talk about a couple more. Well, polls let me. Quick. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead. Just about that situation, which is interesting. So remember, the had the Access Hollywood tape. Uh, at about this time, exactly this time, four years yeah. ago, and Hillary Clinton was in the double digits. So we're, we were seeing poll numbers for Hillary Clinton that look like poll numbers for Joe Biden today. I think the key difference there is, is you know that that those were new revelations about the about Donald Trump. We don't have new revelations about Donald Trump. We have reinforcing information about Donald Trump that comes out now. So things that he does that reinforces who he is, it seems to be driving uh, his numbers down. And Joe Biden's numbers up. The only thing that we don't know about, which is what also happened four years ago, which is the Comey letter. Is there going to be a Hunter Biden investigation announced uh, two weeks before the election or something like that? The only difference I will say is when that Comey letter came out, you got to remember what you said was voters didn't like Hillary Clinton to begin with. So the Comey right, letter so. coming out re reinforced things that they thought were negative about her. I think if something about Hunter Biden comes out, it's because it's going to come out from Bill Barr, uh, you know, our good friend. And um, and I don't think people are going to believe it. I, th I think that's the thing. That there's no credibility there and if also something does come out. That Biden's response to him in that moment, that that, that, that to me was a, was a key moment in that debate when um, President Trump was when, – when Biden was talking about his son, Bo – and Trump said this one line, I, I don't know Bo, I know Hunter. That moment was, um, I think, rather disastrous mm -hmm. for President Trump because it showed zero empathy, which is right. really what we're seeing with everything in the, the problem. So getting to these I, other- I will tell you, the, the, the one poll number that I see that has actually sort of surprised me, because you, you ask me this question all the time, everybody asks me this question, anything surprise you, and it usually doesn't, because I'm just used to anything coming down the pike. So what I'm expecting, even when we ask who do you trust more on these issues, I'm expecting a minor gap between the two. There's one question that we asked in Pennsylvania after the, after the debates, right, is does Joe Biden, does Donald Trump understand the problems of people like you? Joe Biden had a 15-point advantage there. 60% said it was true of Joe Biden. Only 45% said it was true of Donald Trump. We don't see those kinds of gaps, and that's exactly what you were just describing right there. Trump's job approval, just in, this was yesterday these came out, and they came out from, and you can stop me on any of them. This was the Global Marketing Research Services, FP University, Boston Herald. Approval 43, disapproval 53. Um, for morning consult, approval 41, disapproval 54, and Trump job approval from Rasmussen, uh, which I believe is uh, more on the Republican side, tends to be, uh, 45 approve, 53 disapprove. And if I understand correctly, that number should tell us a lot. Yeah, particularly, particularly the Rasmussen number, which has been consistently about seven or eight points more favorable to Donald Trump than any other poll. Uh, any other? Now how any, how do pollsters do that, though? I mean, I said that because I said that I, Rasmussen I don't wanna, was more. Yeah, it is, and it's a long story. And Rasmussen's uh, business model is more like a media company than a polling company. They have subscribers, and they're ah. basically giving their subscribers a lot of content, including polling content. But their subscribers are all Trump supporters. So therefore, you you know, if you want to stay in business as a media company, you give your viewers or your subscribers what they want. And so Rasmussen which goes has back. Been, 
With listen, goes back to I remember your Fox News, your your partners over at Fox, not partners, but people who you know, the pollsters at Fox News. Th- those guys run into trouble because they're you've always described them as very straight solid. down, straight and solid. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And Fox then News Trump just the loses best. his mind when when Fox News comes out and his his numbers look terrible because then what ends up happening is the media then says even Fox News is saying that Trump's numbers are here and it well, looks that. that- more, you know, that's what was bizarre about the Rasmussen poll this week, because in, in the horse race number at one point this week, because they put it out daily, uh, Donald Trump was behind Joe Biden by 10 points in the horse race among Rasmussen. So that was like a big deal for everybody, because while we don't really trust the Rasmussen numbers, the fact that even Rasmussen had him down by double digits was saying something. Anyway, yeah. we, we should move on to. um you know, the big picture item. So what's been going on with the Republic since in the past six months? What are we worried about? What's <laughs> looking forward? Things that we were worried about then are still seem to be very much on the docket right now, such as the election. It's the integrity of the election itself. What's what right. So I, actually, this was the old question, right? Where is the health of the Republic this week? And I guess what we can ask is, where is the health of the Republic over the course of the last six months from six months ago? I remember six months ago, what we were saying was that the the, the patient is on life support, largely, is, right. is how we felt. And the poll numbers didn't look anything like this at all. It was not clear. It was it, 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 when we stopped, it wasn't totally clear. We didn't have the Bob Woodward revelation that Trump did know. I mean, we we guessed that he knew in the end of January and beginning of February that this was going to be a problem, even though we got till March 13th before anything actually started moving so that things could, could, you know, but we didn't know in April. Now we know, um, there is a distrust of government that is particularly strong. I think in so many ways, the Republic is in more danger and in some ways there's hope, which is part of why I chose that, um, that quote for Washington at the top. Yep. Yes. I think, um, we crossed the line from healthy dose of skepticism into an unhealthy distrust of government overall. Uh, something that our, our framers were worried about because this is, and I've said this on this show so many times, is that what the framers understood is that you couldn't, we're not going to have a direct democracy. You can't put power directly in the hands of the people. But in order to prevent the kind of chaos that they were seeing after we won our independence in the Revolutionary War, is that they needed to come up with some sort of system of government which would prevent chaos and, and engender the public trust. But you couldn't do it in such a way that it, it required them to trust the government because then you would take away their liberty. And so it required those who were in power to exercise that power and also to maintain norms of behavior that would keep that public trust running. That people would say, ah, the people in government, they're not doing the best. They're not doing what I want. But, you know, in the end, it's the best system of government in the in the world. And and it'll be fine. You know, starting back with Ronald Reagan, who said, remember, the, the most uh, the most uh, fearful words in 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 the United States are I'm from the government. I'm here to help or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. the exact quote, uh, but it, it's engendering that level of distrust rather than skepticism that we're at right now. And that's why we've got militias and people taking over, people showing up at these protests like they're supposed to be helping the police do their job. And taking it upon themselves because why? Because they 
all trust in government has broken down. And this is what been, been a problem. So, yes, this is problematic, but we can get it back. And I never I don't think I've ever said this on a show. And I've been thinking this for a couple of years now. I don't think I've even said it to you, but I did say it publicly, I think, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. If Joe Biden does win this election, if the Democrats do take over the Senate, and this is not a knock on the old Republican Party or what the Republican Party used to be because we need a strong two-party system that works together. We absolutely need that for this government to work. But what we do need is, after this is over or we get to this other side, is we can't just sweep what's happened over the past 25 years under the carpet. We need a, a kind of like a Nuremberg-style inquiry into what's yeah. happened to American government over the past 25 years. We need to call out people for the role that they've played, either actively or tacitly, in allowing trust in a republic to break down so so much that we even got to this point. Well, President Trump is doing it on a daily basis. Every time he questions mail-in ballots that way and saying that the whole thing is rigged, he was doing this in 2016, which was part of what tied the hands of the Obama administration regarding the Russia situation that was going yep. on, you know, and, and also made James Comey sort of say, look, Hillary's going to win. I don't want this to come out later. I've got to protect the FBI. But President Trump every almost every day talks about that this election is a hoax. When he said, if I lose, they cheated. When he said that is one of the more dangerous things that he has ever said or done. Uh, because what it's doing is casting that doubt. And we're going to have that doubt, it seems, almost no matter how things go. And uh, if if Biden wins, if Trump wins, there's going to be that that doubt on that side. Like, how is that remotely possible that with everything that's been going on, that President Trump won again by 10,000 votes in this state, 18,000 votes in that state? It doesn't make any sense, you know? So, I mean, that's where we are. And it, it makes the next few weeks extremely important. Um, I had a, a Democratic uh, a person on the Democratic side who was talking about the importance of getting those ballots in as early as possible, because every single day that this this election is not called gives President Trump more of a chance to really steal the election. Um, I was on a, a call with a, a New Deal, which is the organization that I work for, as well as Third Way, where they were talking about how they have lawyers. That they're thinking all of this through, that there are so many different ways that the president and the Republican Party and William Barr could actually steal the election. So the Democrats are doing everything in their power to plan ahead. They said what the, the gentleman from Third Way said was that in 2000, they, were, they weren't expecting what happened in Florida. Now they are. They're expecting it everywhere. They're coming up with scenarios. They're they're trying to figure things out so they can get ahead of it. Um, what would what do you think that Bill Barr might do? Yeah. Well, let me let me take uh, one thing that's kind of hanging in the air there. Uh, we're talking about uh, the potential for voter fraud, which is what right. uh, the Trump campaign is is talking about. Republicans are talking about when as we're moving to this large number of mail ballots that are happening across the country. The, the the potential for fraudulent votes to be cast exists in part because it's brand new. It's a brand new system for everybody. It's not like what's what's happened in the states out in the West Coast that have been doing this for years, where yeah. they they built up to it and they they built in systems and they tested things out. And this is like just being unleashed across the country. So there is the potential. Like for example, 
you you know you you moved and you registered to vote where you moved, but the new county clerk didn't inform the old county, so you happen to have be registered in two places, and you could have two ballots mailed to you, uh, potentially. Uh, you know, so those are things that, you know, they have, you know, states that don't have statewide systems where they can double check that these things are happening. Uh, so there, there's potential for that. I mean, and there's also potential for people trying to, you know, pick up mail ballots and convince people, hey, I'll take care of the ballot for you um, at, at an individual level. But those numbers of, of times that that will happen based on what's going right now is going to be infinitesimally small. What is more likely to happen is people who cast legitimate votes not getting or trying to cast legitimate votes not getting those votes counted because so of naked ballots in right so like in a place right let's so a place uh, so I live in in New Jersey everybody in every active voter in New Jersey is getting their ballot mailed to them this year um, they can go on election day and and bring the mail ballot there or fill in a, a paper ballot at their at a polling place if they want to but. And then, and then also, if I send my ballot back and they say, oh, you didn't fill this out right, your signature doesn't match or whatever, I'm informed of that and given the opportunity to go down there with my driver's license and whatever and say, no, that, that really is my ballot counted. Um, but places like Pennsylvania have this extra step where you have to put it in a security envelope. And if it's not in the security envelope, a court just ruled that you can't count it. Um, so the county clerk in Philadelphia is worried that a hundred thousand ballots might not be, they have no idea how, how many people will be able to fill these ballots out correctly. Cause for most of them, it's the first time they're ever doing something like that. So those are problems that, that are can occur. And particularly in some of these close States and they're not like, you know, my state, which is definitely going to be a blue state, but in the, some of these close States, they don't have those, uh, steps in place for people to fix problems as they might occur. Uh, with their ballots as as they come in. The other thing that I'm worried about is I'm polling uh, Georgia right now. So you mentioned Texas before. This, Texas and Georgia are probably in the same boat. There are active measures out there and have been for years, and we've seen them for years, to depress turnout in Democratic areas. Um, and that is like things like, well, we'll have one uh, polling place open per county. Well, what happens is that Republicans live in counties where there are you know, 20,000 people who live in the county and Democrats live in counties where there are 3 million people who live in the county. Um, so it makes it tougher for Democrats to vote, uh, that they get there and there are long lines. That's where you see those long lines in places like Georgia and Arizona and so forth is because there's only one polling place open. Uh, so they're trying to encourage people to, to, uh, put in their mail ballots, but making it much harder. So those are just some of the, some of the things that can happen. There's one more thing that I want to mention that that can happen that hasn't happened since 1981, and I I know this well. This is actually I was 17 at the time, so I didn't vote in this election. But this was a New Jersey governor's race, and the Republican Party had hired off-duty police officers to show up at polling places in Latino and Black districts with signs on them, all holstered up with their with their with their guns, and with signs on them that said uh, "Border Security Patrol." Uh, not border security, I'm Susie, ballot security patrol. And with pamphlets that said, you know, all sorts of things. If you are, if, if you are ineligible to vote, you could be arrested for being voted just to intimidate. So people would show up, see those guys standing right outside the door and turn around and walk away and not even try to cast their vote. Well, what happened was there was a court case right after this happened in 1981. Um, 
that the federal government stepped in and the court said there, you have to have a consent decree that states cannot do things like this. Parties cannot do things like this, um, that they all have to be go through the Justice Department, be pre-approved and and so that they don't do that kind of t- intimidation again. Well, guess what? That consent decree uh, expired last year, which means probably as many of these polling places, we're going to see that kind of thing. And my question is, are Democrats ready for this? Are they going to have people out at every one of those polling places, getting their lawyers, seeing them as it happened, not the day after and start the ACLU filing suits, but as it's happening, stopping that kind of thing? I don't know what you're, you're involved in, in, in Democratic uh, groups. Are, are they prepared for this? You know what I'm going to do is I'm putting in my book called my friend who works at the ACLU to ask him this very, very question. How about that? How about that? <laughs> uh, one last point on this on this front. Uh, there was a moment where President Trump was in, I believe it was North Carolina, saying, vote twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's vote, something. Vote early and then go back and vote again. Vote and early and vote often. Yeah. That's uh, that's something. Okay, let's uh, let's move on now to our hot take segment, where we will take ninety seconds to discuss to, to discuss some topic in the news. And when you hear this sound, it will be time to move on to the next one. So uh, first, let's talk about the debate that happened just this past Tuesday night, the uh, Harris Pence debate um, or the Fly debate. Patrick, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I kind of like the Fly. Um, my my joke was uh, people who listened to the debate on the radio thought the fly lost. Uh, but that's a joke from 1960. So it probably doesn't go over very well. Uh, the uh, Nixon Kennedy debates. But I, seriously, though, on the debate itself, I think you know, men saw one debate and women saw another debate. And the debate that women saw was, oh, this has happened to me time and time again, every time. Uh, uh, Pence talked over either Harris or the moderator. I found it worse when he was talking over the moderator for some reason. It just seemed yeah. it seemed less respectful in so many ways. Um, and you know, Harris, it was interesting. She, uh, Justin, had, was texting me during the debate and saying, "Wow, he's not. She's not hitting him." And and there was a reason for that. I think uh, her job on that night was to not make news, to to fight him and push him, but not be angry or come across, quote, as angry, the way I believe Michelle Obama was being accused in 2008 of being an angry African-American woman. Um, And I think that that was part of, I I saw something on CNN, Gloria Borger was talking about that, that that was something that the Harris, that the Biden-Harris campaign was really focused on. And you saw, I thought, Kamala Harris really parry beautifully over the course of the evening. Not perfect. There was a one answer that we're going to get to in a minute that was really problematic. But I thought her presentation was really strong. And if you remember back when we were doing the show, back when we were doing the show, I used to complain about her debates. There is our sound. Patrick, any last thought? Nope. Let's go on to the Biden-Trump debate. What did you okay, think of so- that? Well, so here's here's what happened for me. There was a moment that it was now this was last week. So go back in your memory banks. There was a moment early in that debate. And I reached out to you that night about it where um, Biden was really struggling. He was really having a tough time finding his feet. It was within five minutes of the debate. Nicole was behind me on, you know, going, oh, my God, I'm I'm texting friends like we should have gone with Mayor Pete. Like, you know, it really just looked bad. I saw Donald Trump look over at Biden and a look came over his eye like a, a, a lion looking, a female lion seeing an injured gazelle and like, I'm going to pounce on this one and end him. And there was a feeling in me that, oh, my God, he's going to end him right here. Biden's going to fall over. Well, turns out 
that he was instead of being an uh, injured gazelle, he was he was more like uh, a playing possum, and he looked mm-hmm. dead, but he wasn't dead. And what ended up happening was Trump just. You know, like George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle. No, it wasn't the Rumble in the Jungle. It was the the one in Africa, the fight in Africa. He just punched himself out, and by the last ten minutes of the debate, yeah. just looked in misery. So I thought it was a not the best performance by Biden, but he certainly maybe won. maybe maybe more like uh, Tyson uh, Holyfield uh, and uh, Trump tried to bite uh, uh, Biden's ear. Yeah, Chris Christie, Chris Christie. Uh, who now has COVID and is in the hospital and we wish him well, uh, said he's a stutterer. So interrupt him as much as you can. Right. And that will re-enlist this idea. Yeah. And he was ready for it. And I think, um, I think that in the end, the key there was that Joe Biden came off as more empathetic. It was the wrong strategy that Christie Giuliani strategy ended up being the wrong strategy because it's just too hot, too overboard, too, too hot. hot. Yeah. Okay. Too next, hot. next, next one. Where are we, where are we going next? You go, you send it to me. Cause this okay. is. Okay. Oh yes. So, uh, you know, so, you know, in a time of crisis, right? The president is, gives a time to shine. So COVID was Trump's time to shine, right? So what happened? Well, he missed an opportunity. That's what I see. Um, there were so many times over the course of these four years where Donald Trump had the opportunity to just do less and be presidential. If he had come back, if he did not come from the Roy Cohn school of fighting and he had gotten this diagnosis and he's sick and he has uh, COVID-19 and he came back out on that Friday and, and instead of acting like the big shot and said, look, I, I, I now have suffered this and I see how other families have suffered this and I'm so sorry for him to come out and say, look, I'm immune. This isn't such a big deal. I think was the na- the nail. If he yep. loses, we will look back on that moment of him saying that as the final nail in the right. coffin of and his I, presence. And there was a blueprint for this. Boris Johnson, who yes, had exactly. COVID Same early thing. on and came back a cha- you know chastened man and said, "Oh, this was different than what I thought." And and he's had a different approach since then. And I think while. You know, the folks in Britain aren't overly enthusiastic about where things are going. Boris Johnson gets a lot more um, leeway from the British public now than he did before because of his approach having changed from having it. If Trump so, yeah. had been vulnerable in that moment and had chosen not to be Donald Trump about it, he could have gotten people on his side. People who are like, this guy is not, I don't. You know, you we were talking about the people in Pennsylvania who aren't getting on the phone, the older Pennsylvania Republican voters who are just not going to vote. Those are the people he could have gotten back, I believe, yep. had he found that level. OK, now here I have a question for you. Donald Trump has just passed on the virtual debate. Is he crazy? Um, yes, I, I think so. Um, and and uh, well, yes and no. I mean, the, he still feels that the only way that he can win is if he's you know, uh, face to face with Joe Biden and can try to force Joe Biden into a gaffe. So if it was virtual, then there's less of an opportunity for him to try to do that. I mean, that's what he believes. But the other part of this is that maybe he's right in taking away a stage from Joe Biden. I don't know. Um, you know, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, so Joe Biden will end up doing this town hall on ABC. Now the question is seen by a couple of million people. And if more, yeah, but if, if, if everybody was covering Joe Biden's town hall on ABC, town halls are are where Joe, we're talking about empathy, right? 
Yeah, uh, that's that's his that's his milieu right there. Ooh, so, okay. yeah, milieu. <laughs> so I, I I think I think it's a I think it's a big mistake on his part. Also, part of what you know the Trump's mistake I think in the first debate was he never gave Joe Biden a chance to make a mistake. Because if he had made a mistake, you know, something in tennis called unforced errors, where, you know, you just miss the forehand. Well, he didn't have a chance to make a mistake because he never had a chance to answer a question. So that was the story. And remember that yeah. night I said to you, I was like, how's this going? Like, what are you seeing? And you said, remember, only partisans watch these debates from beginning to end, right? Well, that's the only time that it's it's all going to be about how it's framed. And then Chris Wallace stops Trump and says, says to him, Mr. President, please stop. And you texted me and said, Chris Wallace just framed the debate and you were right yeah. because that was the story of the debate. Right. So the, the, uh, I'm just going to go over, take, uh, take a privilege here and go over just a few, uh, a few seconds, just simply say the, the only way that at this point where the polling is right now, that Donald Trump wins this election is if Joe Biden loses this election. And the only way I think you can get Joe Biden to lose this election is to force him into a gap. And the only way to force him into a gap is to be on stage with him as much as possible at this point. Gotcha. Go ahead. Ask me the next one. All right. So next. Um, oh, so uh, this whole stuff about uh, the court packing and Biden saying, I'll let you know mm -hmm. what my position is after uh, the election. What do you think of all that? I, I think I have the answer for Joe Biden. And I think I know what he should be saying. Here's what he should say. It is obscene that I'm being asked this question because there should be no reason to pack a court. However, if you look at what the Republicans have done over the course of these last years and you look at Merrick Garland and what they did then and the hypocrisy of now bringing someone on for RGB within days of an election, it really doesn't leave much choice because the rules have all been broken. The reason I say, come to me and talk to me after the election. Let's see if they actually get this person onto the court. That's, I think that's yeah, I, I think you were I think you were on the right track up until the point where he actually you would have him actually say that we would do this. I think what he should say is something to the effect of we have seen a consistent erosion in trust in our institutions, including the Supreme Court. And as president, I am going to do whatever I need to do to restore trust in that system. And okay, then just but leave then, it at but that. Then, but wait, but then they push back and say, will you do it? And here's the problem. Oh, we don't, and then and then you say, well, we don't, I don't know what, what the situation is going to that's be, what, what the level of trust is going to be until I same. become president. That's the same. Yeah, but, but it's, it's a more, it's, it's, a, it's a little better uh, okay. excuse than, than simply saying I'm punting. You're saying I'm punting because I have to, I'm looking at what I will need to do when the time comes, because I don't know yeah. what's what it's going to look like. At That's this right. That's what he should say. And real quick on Steve Scully, who is okay. the C-SPAN host. Well, wait, wait, really we're going to have to, we're going to have to, I'm going to have, go ahead. I was going to say, we're going to have to take a full 90 seconds on Steve Scully. All right. So um, let's just do it. We can let, Let's actually, no, let's do this. We're, we're calling it audible, Justin. So we're going to take 90 seconds on the debate moderators. Okay. So, so, so let's start Scully. with, so start with, no, let's start with Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace first, go take. 20 seconds. Okay. So Chris Wallace. So you want to, we, we should, let's talk about the debate moderators. First, we're going to talk about Chris Wallace. I think that Chris Wallace um, failed overall, but I was, gr I was gratified that finally 53 minutes into the debate, he finally stood up for himself and the situation should have done it within the first 10 or 15 minutes. It was a disaster. Um, partially Chris Wallace's fault. I think he's got to take some, some responsibility. Patrick. 
Um, I don't think Chris Wallace could have done any better than he did in that situation. Um, and, uh, and I think you could see that he saw what was coming. Um, and he just kind of finally realized, okay, I can't do what I normally do. Uh, but, and now Steve oh, Scully, um, yep. Steve Scully, who, uh, Susan Page, I think she kind of did the best that she could. Well, let me, because I, I actually know Susan Page as a, as a reporter, because I've dealt with her as a reporter. She's an ex mm. extremely smart reporter, extremely good reporter. But re reporting and moderating debates, two different skill sets. And I think it's just, she wasn't, she wasn't prepared for exactly what was going to happen there as that skill set. That's a, that's all I have to say about her. Okay. And then I'm going to just say something about Steve Scully. Um, right now he's suggesting that his Twitter feed was hacked. I think it's more likely that he was sending a direct message. I'm not going to say that, but that it ended up being for, a for people message. who, for people who haven't followed this, um, uh, uh, Donald Trump on Fox News said something about Steve Scully, who's the supposed to be the moderator of the next debate. From he's from C-SPAN, um, and then on Twitter popped up on his feed uh, a, a tweet to Scaramucci. Remember yep. Scaramucci saying, "Should I respond?" Should I respond? And then Scaramucci tweeted back, and then he said he was hacked. In his his uh, Twitter was hacked into. I'll know. just say this: it was. This is the kind of horrible thing. This is a, not to the same level as the Comey letter, but this is the kind of thing that can change because people then can say, "Look, the the, the media really is against Trump. He's not wrong about that." So it really is an unforced error that could end up hurting Biden. It's, it's a uh, it's very very challenging. Okay, so I'm going to move on to our last hot take now, um, and I'm going to ask you this, Patrick. And you kind of answered this in one of the earlier ones. Do you think Biden can pull this off? Yeah. So to repeat what I said earlier is that up until say two or three weeks ago, or up until maybe even just last week, I would say the range of possibilities that could happen is from a a Biden win of maybe four or five points nationally at the most to Trump eking it out. So now I've got Trump eking it out still as a possibility, but now I have Joe Biden potentially winning by nine to 10 points nationally, which would end up being a, a, an electoral college landslide. So more of the possibilities now are looking positive for Joe Biden, and he definitely can pull this off, but there still is the possibility that Donald Trump can pull it off too, that still hasn't got, come off the table. I see it as a as more as a of a fifty fifty race, and here's why: if Trump does indeed s sneak it out, Trump wins. If Biden sneaks it out, Trump wins. Because yeah. Trump will do everything in his power to steal it and break it. He will not. He will break the country before he will give up power. That is my belief. Now, if it's a landslide, there's no way that he can break it. Right? I mean, he could still break it um, in the three months. But if it's close, he's he's going to fight tooth and nail every step of the way. And it's a dangerous situation. So I, I see it more as a toss up still. I really do. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, yeah, if it is close in terms of the actual popular vote, then. No, uh, but I don't there, there, think in terms of the popular oh, but, vote. Oh, but you mean if it, even, if, even if, yeah, I, I'm going to say, so even if it's close internally in terms of the votes cast, the actual votes is, as they may be counted or something down the yeah. line. Yeah, I get you. I, that's I, what I'm saying. That's that's how I see it. And, you know, we let's move on. OK, so let's move on now to uh, the last topic, which is our guardian of the week. Uh, this is where we talk about someone who has done something for the republic that's outside of their own personal political interest. Uh, there was some talk of the, the moderators being the guardians of the week. But you texted me this morning and you said that we should go with the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. What are your yes. thoughts? 
Yes, she was uh, an inadvertent or unwilling guardian of the week, shall we say, because she did not expect to be put in the situation that she was put in as governor. I mean, you know, as as a public official, sometimes you will get death threats. Some of them are more serious than others. Uh, but this whole um, move by these uh, so-called militia to try to take out, kidnap her and take out government. Talk, we were talking about distrust in government. This is where we are, where people are actually planning to take over state governments be, be, and, and uh, with an assist. From the president, uh, yeah. who who had texted uh, or tweeted uh, "Liberate Michigan." Yes, and, but then even last night, his tweets about the situation. There is no defense yeah, for it. Yeah, she did not thank him for the FBI uh, saving arrest. her. By life. the way, by the way, if there was a in any other administration, if there was a a plot this big, the attorney general would be out there in front, you know, yeah. announcing, "Hey, we we are able to stop this." Where was Bill Barr again? Because. What what does he stand for? But Gretchen Wimmer, did you see her uh, her eight minute press statement? Yeah, I did with, actually with with, with, the, the, with uh, the with the person behind doing with the, the sign uh, language. The sign yes, language the language was just I mean, like, they're I, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, this is the this is the uh, Marvel comic superhero duo and sidekick that we've been missing all along, right? I'm looking, I say, here's their secret identities, the governor of Michigan and her sign language interpreter. What are their <laughs> actual really, superhero identities, right? Really uh, yeah, they were something. So I get, I mean, give her a lot of credit for, for her stoicism in the face of something that is incredibly, incredibly difficult and just I mean, incredible. I mean, it's, 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 it's shocking. It's, um, it, it, if you really stop and think about it, it takes your breath away that, the president last week, and we didn't even talk about this, said, stand back and stand by, stand back and stand by. To now you have yep. 13 militia members coming after to kidnap the governor and, kid, and put on trial for treason and execute the governor of Michigan. Yeah, unbelievable. It's, uh, it's, this is, this is, this is why we have to stop what's happening here. This is why we need that Nuremberg style trial after this election is over. If Joe Biden wins, um, these are things that we just have to put a stop to. We, you know, government's never going to be perfect, but we have to have some level of trust in it or else there's no point to it. I think I've, I've said this to you before and I've said it on the show. The key year for me is 2026 where we come to the end of the first quarter of our first millennium as a nation. And we need a new generation of founding mothers and founding fathers to come together and help push a new path forward, which is why Ben Sass is so disappointing still. All right. There, with the ubiquitous Ben Sass reference, that's <laughs> it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Uh, if you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter. That's how the show got restarted. We're at Guardians OTR on the Twitter feed. Yes, and you can reach Patrick at Patrick Poles and me at Ian Kahn, I-A-N-K-A-H-N. Please do subscribe to get the latest episodes. We don't know. Let me just say this. We're hoping to do it on a weekly basis, but both of us have really tight schedules. So it may just show up and it'll just show up when it shows up and hopefully you'll enjoy it and listen to it. Share it with your friends. 
Uh, the more listeners we have, the more likely it is that we're going to be able to continue on and on as we're as we're in this very challenging time. So please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. Do give us a rating. Tell your friends and family so they can find us as well. And if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back with a new episode sometime soon. And thank you, Justin. See ya.